Chapter twenty seven of Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter twenty seven A Love Scene. Mr. Slope, as we have said, left the palace with a feeling of considerable triumph. Not that he thought that his difficulties were all over. He did not so deceive himself but he felt that he had played his first move well, as well as the pieces on the board would allow, and that he had nothing with which to reproach himself. He first of all posted the letter to the archbishop, and having made that sure, proceeded to push the advantage which he had gained. Had Mrs. Bold been at home, he would have called on her, but he knew that she was at Plumstead, so he wrote the following note. It was the beginning of what he trusted might be a long and tender series of epistles. My dear Mrs. Bold, you will understand perfectly that I cannot at present correspond with your father. I heartily wish that I could, and hope the day may be not long distant when mists shall have been cleared away and we may know each other but i cannot preclude myself from the pleasure of sending you these few lines to say that mr q has to-day in my presence resigned any title that he ever had to the wardenship of the hospital and that the bishop has assured me that it is his intention to offer it to your esteemed father will you with my respectful compliments ask him who i believe is now a fellow-visitor with you to call on the bishop either on wednesday or thursday between ten and one this is by the bishop's desire if you will so far oblige me as to let me have a line naming either day and the hour which will suit mr harding i will take care that the servants shall have orders to show him in without delay perhaps i should say no more but still i wish you could make your father understand that no subject will be mooted between his lordship and him which will refer at all to the method in which he may choose to perform his duty i for one am persuaded that no clergyman could perform it more satisfactorily than he did or than he will do again on a former occasion i was indiscreet and much too impatient considering your father's age and my own i hope he will not now refuse my apology i still hope also that with your aid and sweet pious labours we may live to attach such a sabbath school to the old endowment as may by god's grace and furtherance be a blessing to the poor of this city you will see at once that this letter is confidential the subject of course makes it so 
but equally of course it is for your parents eye as well as for your own should you think proper to show it to him i hope my darling little friend johnny is as strong as ever dear little fellow does he still continue his rude assaults on those beautiful long silken dresses i can assure you your friends miss you from barchester sorely but it would be cruel to begrudge you your sojourn among flowers and fields during this truly sultry weather pray believe me my dear mrs bold yours most sincerely obadiah slope barchester friday now this letter taken as a whole and with the consideration that mr slope wished to assume a great degree of intimacy with eleanor would not have been bad but for the allusion to the tresses gentlemen do not write to ladies about their tresses unless they are on very intimate terms indeed but mr slope could not be expected to be aware of this he longed to put a little affection into his epistle and yet he thought it injudicious as the letter would he knew be shown to mr harding he would have insisted that the letter should be strictly private and seen by no eyes but eleanor's own had he not felt that such an injunction would have been disobeyed he therefore restrained his passion did not sign himself yours affectionately and contented himself instead with the compliment to the tresses having finished his letter he took it to mrs bold's house and learning there from the servant that things were to be sent out to flamstead that afternoon left it with many injunctions in her hands we will now follow mr slope so as to complete the day with him and then return to his letter and its momentous fate in the next chapter there is an old song which gives us some very good advice about courting it's good to be off with the old love before ye be on with the new of the wisdom of this maxim mr slope was ignorant and accordingly having written his letter to mrs bold he proceeded to call upon the signora neroni indeed it was hard to say which was the old love and which the new mr slope having been smitten with both so nearly at the same time perhaps he thought it not amiss to have two strings to his bow but two strings to cupid's bow are always dangerous to him on whose behalf they are to be used a man should remember that between two stools he may fall to the ground but in sooth mr slope was pursuing mrs bold in obedience to his better instincts and the signora in obedience to his worser had he won the widow and worn her no one could have blamed him you o oh reader and i and eleanor's other friends 
would have received the story of such a winning with much disgust and disappointment, but we should have been angry with Eleanor, not with Mr. Slope. Bishop, male and female, dean and chapter, and diocesan clergy in full congress could have found nothing to disapprove of in such an alliance. Convocation itself, that mysterious and mighty synod, could in no wise have fallen foul of it. The possession of a thousand pounds a year and a beautiful wife would not at all have hurt the voice of the pulpit charmer or lessened the grace and piety of the exemplary clergyman. But not of such a nature were likely to be his dealings with the signora Neroni. In the first place, he knew that her husband was living, and therefore he could not woo her honestly. Then again, she had nothing to recommend her to his honest wooing, had such been possible. She was not only portionless, but also from misfortune unfitted to be chosen as the wife of any man who wanted a useful mate. Mr. Slope was aware that she was a helpless, hopeless cripple. But Mr. Slope could not help himself. He knew that he was wrong in devoting his time to the back drawing-room in Dr. Stanhope's house. He knew that what took place there would, if divulged, utterly ruin him with Mrs. Bold. He knew that scandal would soon come upon his heels and spread abroad among the black coats of Barchester some tidings, exaggerated tidings, of the sighs which he poured into the lady's ears. He knew that he was acting against the recognised principles of his life, against those laws of conduct by which he hoped to achieve much higher success. But, as we have said, he could not help himself. Passion for the first time in his life, passion was too strong for him. As for the signora, no such plea can be put forward for her, for in truth she cared no more for Mr. Slope than she did for twenty others who had been at her feet before him. She willingly, nay greedily, accepted his homage. He was the finest fly that Barchester had hitherto afforded to her web, and the signora was a powerful spider that made wondrous webs, and could in no way live without catching flies. Her taste in this respect was abominable, for she had no use for the victims when caught. She could not eat them matrimonially, as young lady-flies do, whose webs are most frequently of their mother's weaving, nor could she devour them by any escapade of a less legitimate description. Her unfortunate affliction precluded her from all hope of levanting with a lover. It would be impossible to run away with a lady who required three servants to move her from a sofa. The signora was subdued by no passion. Her time for love was gone. She had lived out her heart, such heart as she had ever had, in her early years, at an age when Mr. Slope was thinking of the second book of Euclid and his unpaid bill at the buttery hatch. In age the lady was younger than the gentleman, but in feelings, 
in knowledge of the affairs of love, in intrigue, he was immeasurably her junior. It was necessary to her to have some man at her feet. It was the one customary excitement of her life. She delighted in the exercise of power which this gave her. It was now nearly the only food for her ambition. She would boast to her sister that she could make a fool of any man, and the sister, as little imbued with feminine delicacy as herself, good-naturedly thought it but fair that such amusement should be afforded to a poor invalid who was debarred from the ordinary pleasures of life. Mr. Slope was madly in love, but hardly knew it. The signora spitted him as a boy does a cockchafer on a cork, that she might enjoy the energetic agony of his gyrations, and she knew very well what she was doing. Mr. Slope, having added to his person all such adornments as are possible to a clergyman making a morning visit, such as a clean necktie, clean handkerchief, new gloves, and a soupçon of not unnecessary scent, called about three o'clock at the doctor's door. At about this hour the signora was almost always alone in the back drawing-room. The mother had not come down. The doctor was out, or in his own room. Bertie was out, and Charlotte at any rate left the room, if any one called, whose object was specially with her sister. Such was her idea of being charitable and sisterly. Mr. Slope, as was his custom, asked for Mr. Stanhope, and was told, as was the servant's custom, that the signora was in the drawing-room upstairs he accordingly went he found her as he always did lying on her sofa with a french volume before her and a beautiful little inlaid writing-case open on her table at the moment of his entrance she was in the act of writing ah my friend said she putting out her left hand to him across her desk i did not expect you to-day and was this very instant writing to you mr slope taking the soft fair delicate hand in his and very soft and fair and delicate it was bowed over it his huge red head and kissed it it was a sight to see a deed to record if the author could fitly do it a picture to put on canvas. Mr. Slope was big, awkward, cumbrous, and having his heart in his pursuit was ill at ease. The lady was fair, as we have said, and delicate. Everything about her was fine and refined. Her hand in his looked like a rose lying among carrots, and when he kissed it, he looked as a cow might do on finding such a flower among her food. She was graceful as a couchant goddess, and moreover as self-possessed as Venus must have been when courting Adonis. Oh, that such grace and such beauty should have condescended to waste itself on such a pursuit! I was in the act of writing to you, said she. 
but now my scrawl may go into the basket and she raised the sheet of gilded note-paper from off her desk as though to tear it indeed it shall not said he laying the embargo of half a stone weight of human flesh and blood upon the devoted paper nothing that you write for my eyes signora shall be so desecrated and he took up the letter put that also among the carrots and fed on it and then proceeded to read it gracious me mr slope said she i hope you don't mean to say you keep all the trash i write to you half my time i don't know what i write and when i do i know it is only fit for the back of the fire i hope you have not that ugly trick of keeping letters at any rate i don't throw them into a waste-paper basket if destruction is their doomed lot they perish worthily and are burnt on a pyre as dido was of old with a steel pen stuck through them of course said she to make the simile more complete of all the ladies of my acquaintance i think lady dido was the most absurd why did she not do as cleopatra did why did she not take out her ships and insist on going with him she could not bear to lose the land she had got by a swindle and then she could not bear the loss of her lover so she fell between two stools mr slope whatever you do never mingle love and business mr slope blushed up to his eyes and over his mottled forehead to the very roots of his hair he felt sure that the signora knew all about his intentions with reference to mrs bold his conscience told him that he was detected his doom was to be spoken he was to be punished for his duplicity and rejected by the beautiful creature before him poor man he little dreamt that had all his intentions with reference to mrs bold been known to the signora it would only have added zest to that lady's amusement it was all very well to have mr slope at her feet to show her power by making an utter fool of a clergyman to gratify her own infidelity by thus proving the little strength which religion had in controlling the passions even of a religious man but it would be an increased gratification if she could be made to understand that she was at the same time alluring her victim away from another whose love if secured would be in every way beneficent and salutary the signora had indeed discovered with the keen instinct of such a woman that mr slope was bent on matrimony with mrs bold but in alluding to dido she had not thought of it she instantly perceived however from her lover's blushes what was on his mind and was not slow in taking advantage of it she looked him full in the face not angrily nor yet with a smile but with an intense and overpowering gaze 
then holding up her forefinger and slightly shaking her head she said whatever you do my friend do not mingle love and business either stick to your treasure and your city of wealth or else follow your love like a true man but never attempt both if you do you'll have to die with a broken heart as did poor dido which is it to be with you mr slope love or money mr slope was not so ready with a pathetic answer as he usually was with touching episodes in his extempore sermons he felt that he ought to say something pretty something also that should remove the impression on the mind of his lady-love but he was rather put about how to do it love said he true overpowering love must be the strongest passion a man can feel it must control every other wish and put aside every other pursuit but with me love will never act in that way unless it be returned and he threw upon the signora a look of tenderness which was intended to make up for all the deficiencies of his speech take my advice said she never mind love after all what is it the dream of a few weeks that is all its joy the disappointment of a life is its nemesis who was ever successful in true love success in love argues that the love is false true love is always despondent or tragical juliet loved hady loved dido loved and what came of it troilus loved and ceased to be a man troilus loved and was fooled said the more manly chaplain a man may love and yet not be a troilus all women are not cressidas no all women are not cressidas the falsehood is not always on the woman's side imogen was true but how was she rewarded her lord believed her to be the paramour of the first he who came near her in his absence desdemona was true and was smothered ophelia was true and went mad there is no happiness in love except at the end of an english novel but in wealth money houses lands goods and chattels in the good things of this world yes in them there is something tangible something that can be retained and enjoyed oh no said mr slope feeling himself bound to enter some protest against so very unorthodox a doctrine this world's wealth will make no one happy and what will make you happy you you said she raising herself up and speaking to him with energy across the table from what source do you look for happiness do not say that you look for none i shall not believe you it is a search in which every human being spends an existence 
and the search is always in vain said mr slope we look for happiness on earth while we ought to be content to hope for it in heaven pshaw you preach a doctrine which you know you don't believe it is the way with you all if you know that there is no earthly happiness why do you long to be a bishop or a dean why do you want lands and income i have the natural ambition of a man said he of course you have and the natural passions and therefore i say that you don't believe the doctrine you preach st paul was an enthusiast he believed so that his ambition and passions did not war against his creed so does the eastern fanatic who passes half his life erect upon a pillar as for me i will believe in no belief that does not make itself manifest by outward signs i will think no preaching sincere that is not recommended by the practice of the preacher mr slope was startled and horrified but he felt that he could not answer how could he stand up and preach the lessons of his master being there as he was on the devil's business he was a true believer otherwise there would have been nothing to him he had audacity for most things but he had not audacity to make a plaything of the lord's word all this the signora understood and felt much interest as she saw her cockchafer whirl round upon her pin your wit delights in such arguments said he but your heart and your reason do not go along with them my heart said she you quite mistake the principles of my composition if you imagine that there is such a thing about me after all there was very little that was false in anything that the signora said if mr slope allowed himself to be deceived it was his own fault nothing could have been more open than her declarations about herself the little writing-table with her desk was still standing before her a barrier as it were against the enemy she was sitting as nearly upright as she ever did and he had brought a chair close to the sofa so that there was only the corner of the table between him and her it so happened that as she spoke her hand lay upon the table and as mr slope answered her he put his hand upon hers no heart said he that is a heavy charge which you bring against yourself and one of which i cannot find you guilty she withdrew her hand not quickly and angrily as though insulted by his touch but gently and slowly you are in no condition to give a verdict on the matter said she as you have not tried me no don't say that you intend doing so for you know you have no intention of the kind nor indeed have i either as for you you will take your vows where they will result in something more substantial than the pursuit of such a ghost-like ghastly love as mine your love should be sufficient to satisfy the dream of a monarch said mr slope 
not quite clear as to the meaning of his words. "'Say an archbishop, Mr. Slope,' said she. Poor fellow, she was very cruel to him. He went round again upon his cork on this allusion to his profession. He tried, however, to smile, and gently accused her of joking on a matter which was, he said, to him of such vital moment. "'Why, what gulls do you men make of us?' she replied. "'How you fool us to the top of our bent, and of all men you clergymen are the most fluent of your honeyed caressing words.' now look me in the face mr slope boldly and openly mr slope did look at her with a languishing loving eye and as he did so he again put forth his hand to get hold of hers i told you to look at me boldly mr slope but confine your boldness to your eyes oh madeline he sighed well my name is madeline said she but none except my own family usually call me so now look me in the face mr slope am i to understand that you say you love me mr slope never had said so if he had come there with any formed plan at all his intention was to make love to the lady without uttering any such declaration it was however quite impossible that he should now deny his love he had therefore nothing for it but to go down on his knees distractedly against the sofa and swear that he did love her with a love passing the love of man the signora received the assurance with very little palpitation or appearance of surprise and now answer me another question said she when are you to be married to my dear friend Eleanor Bold? Poor Mr. Slope went round and round in mortal agony. In such a condition as his, it was really very hard for him to know what answer to give. And yet no answer would be his surest condemnation. He might as well at once plead guilty to the charge brought against him. And why do you accuse me of such dissimulation? said he. Dissimulation? I said nothing of dissimulation. I made no charge against you, and make none. Pray, don't defend yourself to me. You swear that you are devoted to my beauty, and yet you are on the eve of matrimony with another. I feel this to be rather a compliment. It is to Mrs. Bold that you must defend yourself. That you may find difficult, unless indeed you can keep her in the dark. You clergymen are cleverer than other men. Signora, I have told you that I loved you, and now you rail at me. Rail at you? God bless the man. What would he have? Come, answer me this at your leisure, not without thinking now, but leisurely and with consideration. Are you not going to be married to Mrs. Bold? I am not, said he, and as he said it he almost hated with an exquisite hatred the woman whom he could not help loving with an exquisite love. 
but surely you are a worshipper of hers i am not said mr slope to whom the word worshipper was peculiarly distasteful the signora had conceived that it would be so i wonder at that said she do you not admire her to my eye she is the perfection of english beauty and then she is rich too i should have thought she was just the person to attract you come mr slope let me give you advice on this matter marry the charming widow she will be a good mother to your children and an excellent mistress of a clergyman's household oh signora how can you be so cruel cruel said she changing the voice of banter which she had been using for one which was expressively earnest in its tone is that cruelty how can i love another while my heart is entirely your own if that were cruelty mr slope what might you say of me if i were to declare that i returned your passion what would you think if i bound you even by a lover's oath to do daily penance at this couch of mine what can i give in return for a man's love ah dear friend you have not realized the conditions of my fate mr slope was not on his knees all this time after his declaration of love he had risen from them as quickly as he thought consistent with the new position which he now filled and as he stood was leaning on the back of his chair this outburst of tenderness on the signora's part quite overcame him and made him feel for the moment that he could sacrifice everything to be assured of the love of the beautiful creature before him maimed lame and already married as she was and can i not sympathize with your lot said he now seating himself on her sofa and pushing away the table with his foot sympathy is so near to pity said she if you pity me cripple as i am i shall spurn you from me oh madeline i will only love you and again he caught her hand and devoured it with kisses now she did not draw it from him but sat there as he kissed it looking at him with her great eyes just as a great spider would look at a great fly that was quite securely caught suppose signor neroni were to come to barchester said she would you make his acquaintance signor neroni said he would you introduce him to the bishop and mrs proudie and the young ladies said she again having recourse to that horrid quizzing voice which mr slope so particularly hated why do you ask such a question said he because it is necessary that you should know that there is a signor neroni i think you had forgotten it if i thought that you retained for that wretch one particle of the love of which he was never worthy i would die before i would distract you by telling you what i feel no 
were your husband the master of your heart i might perhaps love you but you should never know it my heart again how you talk and you consider then that if a husband be not master of his wife's heart he has no right to her fealty if a wife ceases to love she may cease to be true is that your doctrine on this matter as a minister of the church of england mr slope tried hard within himself to cast off the pollution with which he felt that he was defiling his soul he strove to tear himself away from the noxious siren that had bewitched him but he could not do it he could not be again heart free he had looked for rapturous joy in loving this lovely creature and he already found that he met with little but disappointment and self-rebuke he had come across the fruit of the dead sea so sweet and delicious to the eye so bitter and nauseous to the taste he had put the apple to his mouth and it had turned to ashes between his teeth yet he could not tear himself away he knew he could not but know that she jeered at him ridiculed his love and insulted the weakness of his religion but she half permitted his adoration and that half permission added such fuel to his fire that all the fountain of his piety could not quench it he began to feel savage irritated and revengeful he meditated some severity of speech some taunt that should cut her as her taunts cut him he reflected as he stood there for a moment silent before her that if he desired to quell her proud spirit he should do so by being prouder even than herself but if he wished to have her at his feet suppliant for his love it behoved him to conquer her by indifference all this passed through his mind as far as dead knowledge went he knew or thought he knew how a woman should be tamed but when he essayed to bring his tactics to bear he failed like a child what chance has dead knowledge with experience in any of the transactions between man and man what possible chance between man and woman mr slope loved furiously insanely and truly but he had never played the game of love the signora did not love at all but she was up to every move of the board it was philidor pitted against a schoolboy and so she continued to insult him and he continued to bear it sacrifice the world for love she said in answer to some renewed vapid declaration of his passion how often has the same thing been said and how invariably with the same falsehood falsehood said he do you say that i am false to you do you say that my love is not real false of 
course it is false, false as the father of falsehood, if indeed falsehoods need a sire, and are not self-begotten since the world began. You are ready to sacrifice the world for love? Come, let us see what you will sacrifice. I care nothing for nuptial vows. The wretch, I think you were kind enough to call him so, whom I swore to love and obey, is so base that he can only be thought of with repulsive disgust. In the council chamber of my heart I have divorced him. To me that is as good as though aged lords had gloated for months over the details of his licentious life. I care nothing for what the world can say. Will you be as frank? Will you take me to your home as your wife? Will you call me Mrs. Slope before bishop, dean, and prebendaries? The poor tortured wretch stood silent, not knowing what to say. What? You won't do that. Tell me, then, what part of the world is it that you will sacrifice for my charms? Were you free to marry, I would take you to my house to-morrow and wish no higher privilege. I am free, said she, almost starting up in her energy, for though there was no truth in her pretended regard for her clerical admirer, there was a mixture of real feeling in the scorn and satire with which she spoke of love and marriage generally. I am free, free as the winds. Come, will you take me as I am? Have your wish, sacrifice the world, and prove yourself a true man. Mr. Slope should have taken her at her word. She would have drawn back, and he would have had the full advantage of the offer but he did not. Instead of doing so, he stood wrapped in astonishment, passing his fingers through his lank red hair, and thinking, as he stared upon her animated countenance, that her wondrous beauty grew more wonderful as he gazed on it. Ha, ha, ha! she laughed out loud. Come, Mr. Slope, don't talk of sacrificing the world again. People beyond one-and-twenty should never dream of such a thing. You and I, if we have the dregs of any love left in us, if we have the remnants of a passion remaining in our hearts, should husband our resources better. We are not in our première jeunesse. The world is a very nice place. Your world, at any rate, is so. You have all manner of fat rectories to get and possible bishoprics to enjoy. Come, confess, on second thoughts, you would not sacrifice such things for the smiles of a lame lady? It was impossible for him to answer this. In order to be in any way dignified, he felt that he must be silent. Come, said she, don't booty with me. Don't be angry because I speak out some home truths. Alas, the world as I have found it has taught me bitter truths. Come, tell me that I am forgiven. Are we not to be friends? And she again put out her hand to him. He sat himself down in the chair beside her, 
took her proffered hand and leant over her there said she with her sweetest softest smile a smile to withstand which a man should be cased in triple steel there seal your forgiveness on it and she raised it towards his face he kissed it again and again and stretched over her as though desirous of extending the charity of his pardon beyond the hand that was offered to him she managed however to check his ardour for one so easily allured as this poor chaplain her hand was surely enough oh madeline said he tell me that you love me do you do you love me hush said she there is my mother's step our tete-a-tete has been of monstrous length now you had better go but we shall see you soon again shall we not mr slope promised that he would call again on the following day and mr slope she continued pray answer my note you have it in your hand though i declare during these two hours you have not been gracious enough to read it it is about the sabbath school and the children you know how anxious i am to have them here i have been learning the catechism myself on purpose you must manage it for me next week i will teach them at any rate to submit themselves to their spiritual pastors and masters mr slope said but little on the subject of sabbath schools but he made his adieu and betook himself home with a sad heart troubled mind and uneasy conscience end of chapter twenty seven recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom